Hi, welcome to worship. I'm Jason, one of the pastors here at Schweitzer, and we are so glad that you've tuned in today. If you're new, we are so glad you're here. We'd invite you to fill out a connection card. We've got a gift card that we'd like to send to you. If you've been worshiping with us for a long time, take a moment and invite a friend to join you. Today, we're going to be continuing our dive into the prophet Isaiah as we hear about peace on earth and the Prince of Peace. Also today in our worship service, we're going to experience communion. If you'd like to assemble the elements and be ready for that time later in our worship, now would be a great time to do that. Now Stephanie's going to share with us some ways that we can interact with the ministries of Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. The Christmas season is upon us and we have a wonderful opportunity this year to partner with Pittman Elementary and provide items for their school store. At this store, kids can pick out things for themselves or things that they can give as gifts to other members of their family or friends. Everything from board games to clothing items to toys of all shapes and sizes. We're looking for your generosity to help provide things for this store. And you can find out a list online at sumc.co slash Christmas gifts. In just two short weeks, Christmas with Schweitzer begins with our carols and candlelight services. From December 20th through the 23rd, we invite you to join us here on campus outside you can enjoy from your car or gathered around the stage in your masks and coats. We're excited to see you here. Then on Christmas Eve, no matter where you are, we hope you'll find a time to join us for our very special online only Christmas Eve service. Airing on the hour, every hour from 10 a.m. to midnight, this service will be filled with Christmas music, a creative telling of the Christmas story, and a candlelight experience. We even have a kit for you that you can sign up for online at sumc.co slash Christmas. And most importantly, we want you to invite friends and family, no matter where they are, to join you virtually in this special event. Thanks, Stephanie, for all those ways we can connect. If you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to use the chat feature, or you can hit the full screen button and you can just enter into worship. Now, join us as we worship together with the song, He Shall Reign Forevermore. The one who made the starry skies 
this baby born for sacrifice Christ the Messiah Into our hopes, into our fears The Savior of the world appears The promise of eternal years Christ the Messiah come to a time of prayer, we also come to a time of preparing our hearts and minds for Advent. In Advent, we are reminded that we are people who wait. We're waiting for the Lord's return. We're waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to come and collide into the world in which we live. And so part of our waiting, we, we listen to the promises of the prophets and their words of encouragement and hope. We're reminded through John the Baptist and others that there are things in our own life that we have to confess to the Lord and seek his goodness and his guidance. Today, we're lighting the second candle. And with it, we hear these words. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ the way. May the words sent from God through the prophets lead us to the way of salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. As we hear these words, would you join me in prayer? For the places that we're at in life, kind Father, we ask that you would send Emmanuel to be our good shepherd, to lead us, to guide us. Not only for our own lives, our own persons, but we also pray for our community, the communities where we live, our families, the people that we interact with on a regular basis. Would you be a shepherd to us all? Would you also be a shepherd to us in our, in our nation? We pray for our country. As we know that there's a change in leadership coming, would you be our leader? That no matter who rules over us, you would be our king, our guide, our shepherd. Hear our prayers today. Lead your church and teach us to pray in the words that Jesus taught us when we together with one voice say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This Christmas season, we're talking about a new organization that we're helping launch in 2021 called Flourish. One of the programs that has helped people move from surviving to thriving is Jobs for Life. You'll hear more about Jobs for Life in the upcoming video. But first, I wanted to share James Minx's testimony of Hope, who recently shared with us these words. I now have a career where I am able to take care of and provide for my family. And there is real stability in my life that I have never once had before. This is one example of the life transformation that we know is, is making a difference. Take a listen to Jim as he shares how we've gotten to this point. It begins with a simple question, what if? In 2003, Ed Hewlett first asked, what if? What if we opened a food pantry to meet the needs of hungry families in our community? 
In the first year of operation, the people of Schweitzer, through the pantry, provided food for more than 300 people. This ministry continued to grow, helping more than 16,000 people in the first decade of existence. Schweitzer quickly became a source of encouragement, hope, and prayer to the community around us. In 2010, this ministry grew exponentially as it moved to the Outreach Center. This larger space allowed us to serve more individuals and partner with local organizations in a new way. The 6,000 square foot warehouse also became a supply hub for a dozen other pantries in Southwest Missouri, which meant we were helping serve over 100,000 people each year. As the numbers grew, we continued to see and to witness that the needs were greater than food. We saw an opportunity to join people in their journey. We began to shift our focus from being for people to being with people. We began to ask, what if? What if we could provide more than food on a monthly basis, but could also encourage and equip people in a deeper way? What if we offered structured support and hope, hope through job training, addiction recovery, and transitional housing? What if we opened a neighborhood garden where neighbors could get to know one another and grow produce in a shared space? Soon, the spirit that started the food pantry sprouted into new areas of outreach including the Life Change Plan, Jobs for Life, the Coach House Ministry, and a neighborhood garden. By shifting our focus, we have witnessed deep transformation in the lives of people all around Schweitzer. This transformation has allowed people to truly flourish. For the past decade, the city of Springfield has strived to address the poverty rate, yet it remains at 25%. And while there are many good programs in our community, Few have had the success rate we have found through a new method of outreach here at Schweitzer. A method that focuses on restoring a sense of value, dignity, and self-worth in people's lives while also providing life skills. Take a look at these facts. 85% of participants in our life change program have remained healthy, not relapsing back into addiction. More than 70% of Jobs for Life graduates have improved their job standing going from part-time to full-time, or from no job to a job. Additionally, one local company has hired 21 Jobs for Life graduates, and their internal stats say graduates of this specific program have a 30% higher rate of staying and succeeding than those hired another way. So, with a growing desire to see even more lives transformed in our community and beyond, here at the end of 2020, we're once again asking, what if? What if we took a big step as a church to help launch a community development corporation that would allow us to expand further, to reach even more people? This means that this Christmas season, we're asking you to join us in helping launch Springfield's first community development corporation, Flourish. Following Jesus, Flourish will launch with the mission of standing with our neighbors in need pursuing healing through relationships of reconciliation and investing in economic and leadership development in our community. We believe this is a tremendous opportunity to leave a legacy that goes beyond the walls of Schweitzer and an opportunity to impact future generations of flourishing people that we hope and believe will say, I love my life. Thank you for joining with us and asking the brave question of, what if, as we trust God who is also with us? You may be wondering how you can be a part of Flourish. There are two ways. The first is by attending an online meeting about Flourish open to anyone on December 13th at 5 p.m. And the other is to consider what you would like to give to Flourish as a part of this year's Christmas offering. Every year, we use the Christmas offering to support outreach ministries. And this year, it's even more so. You can go to sumc.co slash flourish to sign up to be a part of the meeting and a part of the giving. Thank you for your continued generosity that goes to help support all of the ministries of Schweitzer all year long. You can give at sumc.co slash give or through the mobile app. Thanks again for giving.
there are people that you meet that always put a smile on your face. When they walk into a room, it's like a light has come among you. Today, we are going to hear the story of a young dude who knows how to be the light in any room. Would you take a listen with me to the story of Eli Neal? I've been going to church for 12 years. I've been going to Sunday school, um, kids worship, and also I'm going to be and the youth, youth ministry in one year. I was born in China. I didn't have good education or didn't know God. Um, at eight years old, I was brought to, oh, I was adopted and brought to America and uh, I started going to Schweitzer, Schweitzer, and I went, and I now know God. When I was brought to America, it was hard for me to speak this language. Um, I had struggling making, struggles making friends, but at least I made one. My friend uh, wanted to be my friend, obviously, and I was like skeptical, skeptical about why do you want to be my friend? Like, why? We're like so different. He didn't care if we were different. He just wanted someone to play with. And obviously I was a person and we had a bunch of fun. Um, I didn't know God as much, but during this adoption process, even if I didn't know him, I just felt like he was there and in my friend too, but also by him too, um, which made my adoption easier. He tried to make it easier, which was fun do. Everything, everything was fun. Let's just make it clear. Like I said, I went to Schweitzer, um, started to learn about God. Um, we were, it was fun. I didn't even know we were like just doing fellowship. We were just hanging out. I, I loved the activities we were doing. Um, I don't know if there was story time, but it was fun anyway. Regardless of what I want to do later in life, um, uh, I would just want to bring joy, like how my friend brought me joy, and how God brings joy to everyone else. My name is Eli Neal, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I want to say thank you to Eli for sharing your story with us. That's story number 49 in our 52 stories. We're coming up on the end of this, and so many people who are connected to Schweitzer have shared how God is at work in their life. It's such a, such a blessing to us. So thank you, Eli, for sharing your story and the 48 others who have done that as well. Uh, today is part two of this series called Peace on Earth. And we're remembering how the angel showed up to the shepherds that night in Bethlehem and they start to sing that song about, about glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. We're remembering this promise that we have in Christ about, about peace. And, and this is a promise, man, we need to be reminded of right now because this has been a hard year. We're stressed out and anxious. A lot of us are depressed. We've gone through some really, really hard year. And, and we're going to share this promise of, of peace that can exist even am, among a year like, like this. And so as we're going through the series, we're looking at four prophecies um, of, of Jesus that we find in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. Jason started us last week with Isaiah 52. Today we're going to be in Isaiah 9. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me and follow through with Isaiah 9 as we read this, this prophecy of Jesus. And as we look at these prophecies, what we're seeing is is this big picture view of who Jesus is and what the Messiah is going to accomplish for us. And I think that's really helpful to think in the big picture because a lot of times Christmas can come down to all the things that we have to do that sometimes we miss the promise. At least it happens to me. I get so caught up sometimes in all the things that I, I miss the big picture promise of the hope that we have in, in Christ. For, for instance, just this, this last week, I, I decided that I was finally going to put up my Christmas lights. I was, I was a little behind on what I normally do. And I've noticed that a lot of people were like really early on their Christmas lights this year, like Halloween early. They're starting to put up lights and maybe putting up the trees early. I wonder, did, did anyone maybe put your lights and decorations up a little bit earlier this year than normal? I've, I've seen a lot of people do that. Well, I was, I was the opposite. I was, I was behind. And I finally got motivated to put up my Christmas lights. And I went in the basement and got the lights out and Finally got them all stretched out and got, got the tangles undone. I, and I, I looked outside and it was just like starting to mist and it was after work, it was dark. And, but I finally had the motivation. So I decided, you know what? Better late than never. Now's the time. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And which is not like the best decision. I decided to put the lights in the dark and in the rain. Not the best decision. But as I was going through and I was about halfway through putting up the lights, you know, I had this thought creep through my mind. I was like, why am I doing this? 
I could be inside watching TV with my family, but instead I'm in the dark, I'm in the rain, I'm putting up Christmas lights, and, and we live on a dead-end road. There's one house that's past us, so there's like one guy who's going to drive past our house and see Christmas lights. And I'm just thinking to myself, why in the world am I doing this? And, and, and the best answer I could come up with, and I realize it's not a very good answer, but the best answer I could come up with was, was this. Um, because that's what you do. You put up Christmas lights. This is what you do. You go up in the attic and you bring down the tree and you decorate the tree. That's what you do. It's what you do. You buy presents and then you wrap the presents. It's what you do. You send out Christmas cards. This is just, just what you do. There's so many things that you just do in Christmas. It's just like thing after thing after thing after thing that you do for Christmas. And sometimes, at least for me, I get so caught up in all the things that I, like I miss the big picture, the promise that we have of hope, the promise that we have of peace, the promise that we have through the Messiah that he's come for us. And so today, and in this series, my goal is really simple. I want to remind you of what you already know. I, I want to remind you of the hope and the promise that we have in Christ. And, and this is a year that we need to be reminded of some things we already know. And so Isaiah chapter 9, so we're going to be today. This is a prophecy about Jesus. We're just going to remind you of what you already know. And we're going to look at this big picture view of Christmas this big picture promise that we have. This prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And uh, here's how it goes. We're gonna start in verse two. Isaiah nine, verse two says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we're gonna keep reading for just a second. But as we start this, this is a pretty famous passage really for Christmas. In fact, every Christmas Eve, in normal times at least, when, whenever I would lead the lighting of candles and we'd do that at the very end of the Christmas Eve service and we sing Silent Night, I would always read this line, this line because it just makes sense. There's a light dawning, it just makes sense. It's a very famous Christmas passage. Now, when you're reading Old Testament prophecies, it's really important to realize that there's really kind of two angles that you need to read an Old Testament prophecy through. Like there's the, the angle that we have and that we see when we read this. And so when you read about living in deep darkness and a light being dawned, you and I, because we live on this side of Jesus, we clearly see that this is about Jesus. This is about the hope of, of light that's being born and, and how darkness doesn't win. This is what you and I see. But if you were Isaiah, in Isaiah's time and you weren't on this side of Jesus, you were on the other side of Jesus, 700 years before he was to be born, that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking about what you're going through right then. And this is a message that has kind of two angles. Yes, it's about Jesus, but it's also about what the people are going through at the time. And at the time, what the people are going through is, is darkness. Specifically, what they're going through, we know through archaeology and referencing other parts of the Bible, we know that there's a war that the people have been going through. Specifically, it's called the Syro-Ephraimatic War. It was in 734 BC. Now, I didn't have to tell you it was the Syro-Ephraimatic War. I just thought it'd be fun for me to say that. I could have just told you it's war, but it was the Syro-Ephraimatic War. And in case you're kind of wondering, oh, I don't remember what, quite what that war was about. Here's kind of the long story short about that war. Uh, Israel got its tail kicked. And in the ancient times, when you get your tail kicked, here's what that means. It means that uh, lots of people die in battle. It means that the victors would come and take lots of people away in slavery. It means that the women and the girls of your country would oftentimes be taken as wives for their captors. It, it, it means that crops would be uh, harvested for their captors or then just destroyed and burned so that no one else could survive and all your valuables would be taken away. And, and, and if you were somebody who survived the battles and you survived being taken into slavery and you survived uh, the starvation that would oftentimes come on the other side of the war, probably you would describe your life as being dark, maybe even deep darkness. And so with that in mind, that's the context. I want to read that verse again and just be thinking, what would it have been like then as you're thinking about this, this war and the aftermath of this war, what, what this would have felt like. So one more time, here's that verse. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. These folks are going through something that's incredibly difficult. And, and I think that context is so important as we think about what this means for those of us who live on this side of Jesus as we think about what this means for us. Because this deep darkness, it's so important to remember that this is written, this prophecy, this promise about Jesus, it is written to people who are going through some hard, hard things. This is not written for people who are on the, like the mountaintop joys of life and celebrating life and all that it brings. This is written to some people who are struggling, 
This is written to people who are, are depressed. This is written to people who are stressed. This is written to people who don't know what's going to come next. This is written to people who are in deep darkness. And I bring this up because some of us are in the same boat. Now, it's not war that we're going through, of course, but some of us, some of our lives right now, it, it's dark. It, it might even feel like deep darkness for some of us because, because for some of us, the last nine months have been more stressful than anything you've ever experienced at any other time in your life. For some of us, there has been more grief, more heartache, more anxiety, more questions than you've ever had. For some of us, there's been more depression than we've ever had. For some of us, we have chosen to deal with the stress and the anxiety in self-destructive kinds of ways. This is how we've, we've begun to deal with it. And, and studies have shown, and really anecdotes as well as just talking to folks in the church, that, that a lot of people have chosen to deal with the last nine months in very self-destructive ways. We know, for instance, that addictions are on the rise. We, we know that people are choosing to, to deal with this virus and the stress of this virus through self-medication. We know that. We know that eating disorders are on the rise as people seek more control in their life. We, we, we know that, that use of pornography is on the rise as people seek escape. We know that, we know that people, um, divorces are on the rise as couples who are on the brink before can't deal with the stress at this, at this time. We, we know that there's incredibly self-destructive ways that people have chosen to deal with this pandemic. And we also know that if there's something in the world, then it's also in the church. And that there's people I'm talking to today who have been going through some of these self-destructive, deep darkness kinds of ways that you've been dealing with the stress and the anxiety, the fear of this virus. It has been a time of deep darkness for you. And so it's so incredibly important to remember that as we read about this promise that we have in Christ, that this is written to anybody who feels like their life is dark right now. It is written to anybody who feels like they're in a valley. It is written to anybody who is struggling, anybody who's got doubts, anybody who's got fears. This is the audience of this promise. It's not written for those who are just have everything together. It's written for anyone who's struggling because this promise is for everybody. There is nobody whose life is so dark and too far gone that they are excluded from this promise. So with that said, let's, let's keep reading here. Verse three, we're only one verse in, so we need to pick up our pace a little bit, but here's verse three. It says, you, the Lord, have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And I just want you to notice that we went from deep darkness to four references to joy. Verse four, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, the Lord, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. This is referencing Midian's defeat, is referencing an Old Testament character, Gideon, who led Israel into an incredibly impossible victory. And the idea here is that, again, the Lord brings victory against impossible odds. And so now the war is over. They're going to burn the clothes that were used for the war. There is hope that's beginning to be dawned. And, and the reason why this hope is, is coming is verse 6. Verse 6, for to us, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government, that means the responsibility, the rule, the, the authority will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And friends, this is the promise of Christmas, that there is a child that's been born and that because of this child, he will bring light. This child will bring joy. This child will bring victory. This child has been given for all of us that we might have the peace that comes with knowing him because he is the Prince of Peace. And this is why the angels show up that night in Bethlehem and they start to sing that song to the shepherds about glory to God and the highest peace on earth, goodwill to men, because this is the promise that's been given to us, that through him, no matter how dark your life might be, 
no matter what turmoil you might feel like you're living in, no matter what discouragement might fill your mind, there is a promise of peace. And that word peace, we need to talk about that word peace, the Prince of Peace who comes to us, this promise of peace that we have, because, because peace is one of the most loaded and layered words that you have in the entire Bible. Now, when you and I think about peace, we, we usually think about peace in kind of a, a pretty narrow kind of idea of peace. We think about peace in terms of like, we're not fighting anymore. There's, there's no more tension in the, in, the, in the relationships. Maybe they're not, they're not, we're not bringing up the things that usually cause the fight. Or we might think about like a peace treaty because the war is over. We have a kind of a narrow definition of peace that we're not fighting. Or, or we might think about peace in terms of like being calm and having like tranquility in our life might be, might be peace. For instance, um, sometimes when I come home from work, I'll pull my truck into the garage and shut the door and I'll turn my truck off and, and I can hear my three kids in the house. Like just catch this for a second. I'm in my truck, the door is shut. That's, that's pretty quiet right there. And then there's this big space between me and the garage, the rest of the garage, and then there's a garage door, and then there's a laundry room, and there's another door that's closed, and then there's my kitchen, and I can hear my kids through all of that. And I'm pulling in, and I turn my truck off, and I'm like, you know, I just need a few more minutes of peace before I go into that circus. It's, 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 I just need a little bit more calm before I go into, I need a little bit of tranquility. Like this is peace, it's, it's calmness, tranquility, it's not fighting. Like, like sometimes we have this narrow view of what, of what peace is. But in the Bible, it's not a narrow view of peace. It's like this broad view of peace. In, in, in the Bible, the word that is usually translated as peace in the Old Testament is, the, is a very important Hebrew word. You may have heard it before. It's, it's the word shalom. Shalom in, in the Bible is, is this broad word of, of how God's uh, peace comes to us. Let me give you some examples of, of shalom that you have um, in the Bible. This is Leviticus chapter 26. The Lord speaking. Just give you some examples of how this is translated and shown. The Lord says, I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down so that no one will make you afraid. Now, I just want you to notice how the Bible understands peace in this, in this instance is that it's a lack of fear. If you connect these dots here, you see that peace equals that I'm no longer gonna be afraid. It's not about just being calm and not fighting. It's also that I don't, I don't live my life in fear. That's what the Lord's shalom brings. Um, Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace and shalom, I will lie down and sleep for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And again, notice that like here, Shalom is, is safety, it's, it's security, it's knowing who I am and what I'm about, it's knowing that I'm not in danger, that's what shalom brings here. Um, Psalm 2911, another example of shalom, says the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace, with shalom, and here you see strength is, is what um, shalom is about, that, that I understand who I am, I, I live my life how I'm supposed to live it, this is the strength that I have, that I have, that I have this shalom, and so I can give you hundreds of examples of, of how this peace is shown throughout the Old Testament. But, but what's really interesting to me about this word peace, this word shalom, is that while shalom is usually translated as peace, it's not always translated as peace. Again, we have a narrow view of what peace is. The Bible has this broad view of what peace is. So let me show you some examples of how shalom is translated other than peace. A few examples, I'm not gonna give you context, just wanted you to see the words. Um, Judges 8 verse 9. When I return in triumph, Shalom. First Kings twenty two twenty eight. If you ever return safely, shalom. Leviticus five sixteen. They must make restitution, shalom. And I could again go on and on and on and on with this to show you these different ways that this shalom, this peace, this uh, promise is shown to us throughout the Scripture. In fact, if we did a deep dive study of the word shalom in the Bible, we would find that it has this really broad definition of meaning. We would find all kinds of words that, that reflect the shalom that God gives to his people. In fact, here's a, here's a short list of what you would see beyond just what I've read to you already. You would see that shalom comes up with words like oftentimes translated as favor or restoration, forgiveness, covering, as in the shame is covered, um, pleasure. Shalom sometimes means revival or rejoicing unfailing love, salvation, glory, righteousness, all these are ways that sometimes we read the word shalom in English or has been translated into English. And, and as I think about that list and I read those kinds of words, I, I can't help but think about the word shalom is really just kind of shorthand for saying God's will. Because when I read this through this list and I read through things like favor and restoration and forgiveness, I, I just can't help but think, you know what, that's what God wants for us. God wants us to have pleasure and revival and rejoicing. That's what this word means. God, God wants us to live into his unfailing love and have righteousness. Like that's God's will for us. So I can't help but think that when I read this word shalom in the Bible, that really what I'm, what I'm reading is this is what God wants for us. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for me. This is what God wants for everybody, no matter what their life looks like. Even, even, if, their, even if their life is lived in darkness, this is still 
what God wants for us. He wants our lives to be filled with his peace, his shalom. Not this narrow view of peace, but this broad view of how God wants to give you a life of fullness and wholeness and restoration, a life that's free of fear, a life that's lived in his safety, a life that's lived in his providence, a life that's lived full of purpose and meaning. This is what God wants for all of us. It's shalom. And of course, I then have to ask the question, if this is what God wants for us, like how do we get that? How do we live into this promise that God wants for us? How do we get it? And the Bible makes no question about it. There is one source for this peace, this shalom that God wants to give to all of us. Let me show you. Isaiah 53, another prophecy says this. It says, he, that is Jesus, prophesying Jesus says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, shalom, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What's this talking about? It's talking about the cross. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are brought into God's peace, his shalom. More examples. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through one source, our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 14, For he himself is our peace. Colossians 1 verse 20, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Over and over and over again, you see that peace comes from one source because peace is himself the promise. Jesus is himself the peace that you and I are looking for. Or to think about it through the lens of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the promise again that comes through him. Let me read that promise to you one more time. It says, for to us, for to you, for to me, for to everybody, a child is born. To us, to you, to me, to everyone, a son is given. And the government, the responsibility for this will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so as I started uh, today, I, I said, I just want to remind you of something that you already know. And I just want to remind you today, simply this, that Jesus Christ, he himself is the peace that you're looking for. He himself is, is the life and the fullness and the wholeness that you're looking for. He, it's him. And, and not in a narrow sense of like not fighting or being calm, but in a broad sense. Jesus himself, he is the life of purpose and meaning that you're looking for. Jesus himself, he is the restoration and the forgiveness that you're looking for. He himself is the healing and the wholeness that you're looking for. Like Jesus himself is the light that you are looking for when everything else is dark. And, and I can't say this enough. This is the promise, this promise of peace. It's for everybody. There's nobody who's excluded from this. As we read, this is for the people living in deep darkness. Everybody is invited, is invited to this promise. And church, I just, I just want to connect some dots for us here. To say that this Prince of Peace is given for everybody is to remember why we exist as a church. It's to remember why we do what we do as a church. Why, we, why we're here and why we um, do any of our ministries or what it is we're trying to accomplish because we believe that the Prince of Peace has been given for everybody. We believe that the Prince of Peace is the key to transforming people's lives. We believe that the Prince of Peace is the hope that everybody's looking for, that he has the power and the ability to change everybody's mind, everybody's life, everybody's relationships, that he is able to do this. This is why we exist as a church. This is why we do what we do. This is, by the way, why we're starting this ministry of Flourish, because we want to share this promise with as many people as we can, however we can, because we believe that the Prince of Peace is for everybody. Now, today, it could be that your life today is full and it is good and that you are living on the mountaintops of life's victories. And if that is you, I just, I celebrate with you. But it could also be that today, uh, your life is not so good and things don't look so full. And instead of, uh, instead of joy, it could be that for you right now, you, you're living in more discouragement. It could be that uh, for you, instead of having hope, that right now you, you've got a little bit more despair. Or, or it could be that for you, instead of having peace, you've got turmoil. Instead of living on the mountaintops of life's victories, you're living in the valleys of darkness. And I, I just, I want to remind you of what you already know, that the Prince of Peace has been given for you. He is given for you because the Prince of Peace, listen, is for you. 
He is for you that you can live a new life filled with hope and joy and blessing. It is for you. So if your life right now is one of darkness and this is how you feel, if you're living in the midst of anxiety and stress and fear, listen, listen, listen. He is for you. If, if right now you're, you're dealing with maybe the stress in self-destructive ways, maybe addiction, maybe, maybe there's, there's other behaviors that no one knows about, there's secrets, listen, listen, listen. He is for you. If, if you are filled with worry and you don't know where your life is going next, listen, I just wanna, I just wanna remind you what you already know. He is for you. He is for everybody. And he's been given that we might have peace, shalom in our life, the fullness of God, the wholeness of God, the abundant life that comes through Christ. And so today we celebrate the, the gift, we celebrate the promise, we celebrate all that he has done for us. And one of the best ways to do this is to remember the meal and the sacrifice that Jesus has given for us, for you, for me, for everybody. And so we remember that on the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, before he was arrested, he took a loaf of bread and he broke the bread. As he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and he said that his body was gonna be broken for them. He gave them the bread and he said, take this and eat it and remember me. In the same way after the supper went on, he took a cup of wine, he gave thanks and he gave it to his disciples and said that the cup of wine represented his blood that was gonna be shed for them. He gave it to his disciples and said, take this and drink it, remember him. And then he called this, he called this a new covenant, a promise that our lives can be made new, that our sins can be forgiven and that we can live in his peace. And so today we're gonna to celebrate this meal of bread and wine and we're gonna remember and celebrate the promise that is true for you because he has given himself for you. Let's pray. And so Lord, today, we celebrate and remember all that you've done. How you gave yourself for us. This is the promise of Christmas, that peace might fill our hearts, that peace might fill our lives, that peace might fill our families, that peace might fill our communities, that peace would come. And so right now, maybe we feel like there's turmoil, maybe we feel like there's darkness, but we celebrate the hope that we have in you. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit in our church, spread throughout our community and other places, as we take of this meal of bread and wine. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on the bread and wine? They might be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ who's been redeemed by your blood. Would you speak with us and encourage us and share with us your peace that you've given to us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. So friends, I invite you, if you have supplies at your house, to take the bread, to break it, to eat of the body, and to remember what Christ has done for you the same way to take of the wine and to drink it and to remember the blood that Jesus has shed that you might have life, full life, and whole life in him, the peace of God, because the Prince of Peace has been given for you. Amen.
It's been great to share this time with you today. I want to say thank you to those who, who made this happen. Thank you, Jason, uh, Stephanie, KJ. Thank you so much, Eli, for sharing your story. The quartet for leading us in our Advent hymn. Thank you, uh, Laura, for sharing your gifts as well. You all make a big difference in our church, and thank you for sharing and leading today. Hey, if this has been helpful for you, I want to encourage you. Who could you share this with? Share an encouraging word about how the Prince of Peace has come for all of us. I can't wait to continue this series with you next week. God bless you. Amen. Amen.